Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to challenge body and beauty expectations, creating a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. You guys, I am so excited about today's interview. So this interview will drop three days before the beginning of Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And on the pod today, we have a survivor of an eating disorder. Her name is Stephanie. She's an ED survivor. She's also an advocate for other survivors. She engages in professional work with an organization that does advocacy and awareness of eating disorders. She's also a woman who knows a thing or two about healing. And not just from the disordered eating, but from all of the things that made her feel like she was broken beyond repair. The thing that Stephanie discovered about healing is that it exists both outside of us and inside of us. And she shares that journey inward and how um, freeing and life-giving that journey was for her. Now, before you tune out and think, I'm not a 70-pound anorexic, what do eating disorders have to do with me? I want to encourage you to stick around, both for this podcast and for the stories that we're going to put out on The Beautiful Project this week. You know, we live in this culture that is so saturated with diet mentality, wrapped up and masquerading as health and wellness. It has become very difficult for any of us to have a relationship with food that isn't, on some level, deeply disordered. And so while we may not have the extreme manifestation of what we consider to be an eating disorder, the reality is that there's wisdom in Stephanie's story for each one of us and in the stories of the women that we'll share in this coming week on social media. So I want to encourage you to stay. Find something for yourself in Stephanie's words in her healing journey and hopefully be able to take some of that wisdom and give it to the women around you. So let's drop in and hear from our brave and our beautiful Stephanie. So this is Stephanie, and um, Stephanie and I only sort of kind of run in similar circles, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I had reached out to Stephanie. She does some work with a local um, eating disorder organization. I'd reached out to Stephanie to see if she had any survivors uh, to come and talk to me on the podcast, and Stephanie said, not only do I have one, but it's me, and I would love to come share my story, so thank you for being willing. You're very welcome. And welcome. Thank you. Um, So, we're going to open up the way I always open up. Uh, Share with me, if you will, what you think it means to be a survivor. Well, I'm not going to lie, I did look up the definition, (laughs) because I wanted to know how alike my thought would be in alignment with it. Yeah. And it's fascinating because both of the, I mean, aside from the whole being, a, you know, somebody who gets money after somebody dies, yes. uh, there's the reality of somebody who makes it through something that other people don't. Mm. So have you heard that probably before? I actually had not thought of it that way before. So yeah, it's, yeah, that, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. surviving through something where other people generally don't survive. Mm-hmm. So you have gotten through a life experience where others have lost theirs in the process. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really thought of it that way, mm-hmm. but it, it hit me because specifically talking about my eating disorder and then really... The things which followed it, which 
which I'll talk about and involve, you know, depression and anxiety and just mood disorders and hormonal issues, those also have taken out many a beautiful life. Yes, they have. Because of how powerfully they can affect us and mm-hmm. our ability to to live, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's what we're all doing here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um so that is technically the first definition of being a survivor. Mm-hmm. I think my my thought and my personal definition is to to have made it through, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To have been on that boat, mm-hmm. you know, just like Tom Hanks, yeah, <laughs> in the middle of that ocean, yeah, and to have found their, you know, their imaginary friend. Probably it's just themselves that they're able to, you know, sort of get through this. And actually, honestly, the the Wilson of my life, the mm-hmm. Wilsons of my life, have been real people. Yeah, so many people mm-hmm. that have made it possible for me to evolve and. And really look back at myself and mm-hmm. and learn how to take care of myself mm-hmm. even better. And then you do, with that experience, have this learned knowledge mm-hmm. of how to get through a storm. Yeah, right. Art, right. That idea that it isn't just it isn't just that I made it to the other side of this island. It's now I know um, how to get through an island. Yeah. Right? I know, like, with Winston Churchill, I know how, like, if I'm in hell, Mm -hmm. to just keep going. Yeah. I know how to get through hell. Yeah. And I'll tell you that I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I've been through it multiple times Mm -hmm. in multiple iterations. Mm -hmm. And some days I, you know, I still, like, have remembrances of it that I get to live through a little bit every once in a while and then find my ground again. Yeah. And... And that in is a good thing. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not the 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 terrible thing that it was back in the day. But mm-hmm. yeah, because we learned from that too. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, um, I just want to open it up to you. So share uh, what you want um, with the audience about your own story of survival. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll start with saying. I experienced an eating disorder mm-hmm. when I was 14 or 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting about that eating disorder was that I was quickly considered recovered <laughs> after a short period of time. And I'm laughing because it it was so much more than just what I was doing with food for that short time where right. I was restricting and and basically purging. Uh-huh. So it was during that time that for a lot of adolescents, mm-hmm. you know, I had I had gone through I had my period and gone through middle school, mm-hmm. both, you know, the, in their own way traumatic things. So traumatic. So traumatic. I was so awkward and I did not have a good experience in my body. I remember distinctly having digestion issues and yeah. just being so uncomfortable in my body. In middle school. I mean, wow. some of my very strongest memories were just actual discomfort in my body. Wow. And by the time I had gotten into high school, mm-hmm. um, I mean, who knows what made me think, well, maybe I'll just stop 
eating. eating. Yeah. And I had, I would still eat mm-hmm. to a certain extent. I, I mean, I'm, I remember what had happened was it was that feeling of discomfort in my body mm-hmm. where, um, I would just get so, I would get so bloated, mm-hmm. um, that I just didn't want, I just didn't want to have that feeling anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just a regular part of your digestion at the time. Like it was, and, and honestly, I, it's kind of, um, unclear to me whether I had food sensitivities then or what was going on. I know now that I have gone through these long kind of studies about all the different things that, um, I had mono multiple times when I was a kid and like my liver was congested and maybe this participated in things. I, I dealt with, I had like recurring cold sores. So maybe it was the Epstein-Barr virus. I was also like, like pretty introverted and you know, I just had all these things where like, I might've had like a higher than normal stress level for a person. I wasn't super active. I didn't like do a good job getting my toxins out by being an athlete um, so for whatever reason, I never really felt, and then I was a little pudgy. Uh-huh. So, and I was always very, I always felt very judged and very uncomfortable, like about, I judged myself. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh-huh. It wasn't even that other people were judging me. Mm-hmm. It was, I was so judgmental about myself that by the time I had gotten to that stage where I was in high school and I was supposed to be socially acclimating, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I could do it in the body that I was in. So mm-hmm. I just started eating specific things like things that people on a diet eat. I have my little fingers up in the air for the quotes, right? Yes. So like baby carrots yes. and diet Coke and rice cakes. Oh I my remember gosh, yes. those are classic diet. Yeah. Foods, I remember that I classically ate those. Um, and then when I would eat other things, um, I would, I mean, I don't know if, I honestly have not talked about it with with my family Mm. very much, but I know that I would just try and hide it and like maybe take a shower and throw up in the shower or... If you ate something other than those foods. Or if I just felt too full. Yeah, okay. You know, because sometimes I would allow myself to eat, but if I didn't eat so much, then I didn't feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was just that whole like trying to find comfort in my body. I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I I didn't do it very well. So I um, I did that probably <clears throat> starting at the at around my freshman year through the summer leading into my sophomore year, and then by the time I had gotten to, and I don't know if this is like the exact timeline, but it was definitely at the beginning of those those years there, mm-hmm. and by the time I had had to go to a doctor for a physical, I had not had my period for six months. Wow! And I had also known that I was kind of like. And I, and I know that I'm different than a lot of people. Like, I was kind of like, I know that what I'm doing is bad. Mm. And I need help to stop. Mm. Like, I was at that place. Mm. And a lot of people who have eating disorders are in denial and are not dealing with it. And for whatever reason... How do you think you knew? How do I think I knew I knew what? That it was... That you needed help. Like, I, what do you think you're... I just, I just knew that I kept doing it. I knew that, like, the first time I threw up... I remember I was just like, well, I'm just going to do this because I feel uncomfortable and I just won't eat as much next time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then that was never, 
You know what I mean? I just didn't... I mean, it was... I didn't do it every time I ate. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I felt like I had to do it. Yeah. And what was really interesting was um, there was a woman who came in town during the Quad Cities Eating Disorders Conference that we did back in October. Her name is Jenny Schaefer, and she's a wonderful author of Life Without Ed. And she gave a presentation. I didn't get to watch most of it because I was running the conference, and you were there. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how people with anorexia, because I looked at the handouts afterwards, mm-hmm. people with anorexia tend to be more rigid in their thinking, and people with bulimia tend to be risk takers. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what was really fascinating was I think that even though I am a very free spirit, like I'm not like a terrible, crazy risk taker. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just felt like I was a little out of control. with the, I don't oh, know. Sure. I just yeah. honestly felt like at a certain point, when the doctor, when I told the doctor that I hadn't had my period, and she was like, really, what's been happening? Mm. And I said, well, you know, I have been doing this. And it was just this moment where I knew that what I was doing wasn't great mm-hmm. and that I wanted help. And I knew that it wasn't making me happy either. Right. You didn't feel any more comfortable in your skin. I didn't feel any more comfortable in my skin. I didn't feel better about myself. I was feeling worse and worse and worse about myself in a lot of ways because I'd given in to this voice to do something that was harming me. Right. And I was like, I really need to stop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was good was there was an eating disorder specialist, uh, you know, psychologist who I got to see. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was good that they hooked me up with that person. Yeah. Um, at the time, cognitive behavioral therapy was the norm. It still is the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, we just talked about how there is more body-centered work that's getting more common. Um, and work with a dietitian is also something that is really highly recommended when somebody is diagnosed I never got to do that work. So I just went to this person and they basically were just like, well, you know, you're beautiful and you should just feel that you're beautiful. Oh gosh. If it were only that simple. And you know what? God bless this person, but they were a man and they, and it's like when a man's just telling you you're beautiful and you just need to know it. It's kind of like, and then they give Marilyn Monroe as an example of a woman. Oh, who wasn't a size zero. Oh my gosh. Which I like, this is the most, the most stereotypical reference. And really, I don't even know. Um, it was it was good that they said those things. Mm-hmm. But it, I never really was able to transition a, like into a place of self-love. Sure. Well, those, it doesn't sound like you received a lot of tools that way either. It's one thing to be, I mean, if, if it were as simple as just believe it, we'd all walk around believing it. It wouldn't be true that 80 some percent of women will tell you that they don't think they're beautiful. Well, exactly. Right. <laughs> like, but it's, it's interesting because I, I even think about the years of therapy because mm-hmm. I did. I've actually found another therapist and that person was a really sweet human being. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just want to state that this person who will probably never listen to this podcast. But just in case. I will never say. <laughs> right. Was a totally sweet and well-meaning human being. Mm-hmm. But I did not get what I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was funny was I started... Then they were like, eat whatever you want. Mm. Which, you know, for, 
for somebody who had that bad relationship with food meant that you could, I mean, eat things and then you felt like you couldn't do the things that you had done and then you just get into this place where you're like eating things Mm. and you feel, and I still felt like crap every time I ate. So I would just eat sleeves of Oreo cookies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you don't have a guide. You don't have anybody saying you need to find a way to make food your friend. Yeah. Right. So you're just... You're just going down this hole with food that's not healthy because you don't have the guidance. Mm -hmm. And I never got it. And I never really sought it out that much further because what happened was I had had stayed away from medication. And I finally gave in because I was depressed. And they were like, you're just really depressed and you just need medication. Mm -hmm. Which, once again, for a girl who just didn't have her period for six months and hasn't had her period for a very long period. Mm-hmm. She probably has some mineral deficiencies. Yeah. Some real issues going on where yeah. her nutrition is probably going to be, and her gut is probably going to be having some issues. Right. You just throw somebody on a medicine like that. Right. We don't want to get underneath but to get to the cause. that's an yeah. issue that I have yeah. with these things in general mm-hmm. is that there, there, it's a comp and, and eating disorders are not funded very well at all in terms of research. But yeah. our relationship between our food and our mood and our gut and our mind is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That needs attention, mm-hmm. you know. And it's not just our food, it's everything. We all know it, mm-hmm. right? Our environment is full of toxicity that affects all of our digestive organs, mm-hmm. all of our to- detoxifying organs that are connected to our digestive system. So, anyway, this gentleman. Um, put me on Zoloft and I had been, so I think I had like hovered around 130 for many years. I dropped down to 111 when I had my eating disorder. I went up to 140 after I stopped doing all the things that I was doing in a fairly, you know, couple months or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just like kind of a lot. It is. Sure. To put back in that period of time after you've been experiencing all of this, like, I mean, honestly, even uh, family members were like, oh, you know, you're looking great. Because I didn't look emaciated at all. Gosh. I seriously didn't. Can we pause for one second? Yeah. People wonder sometimes, um, one of the things that's really interesting to me is people will often share their weight loss stories with me. And, yeah. and in a way that, like, they want me to acknowledge them positive, like, congratulate them and I rarely get to talk about why I won't, but I won't because I don't know what it cost you. I, even if you tell me it didn't cost you anything, even if it's, even if you tell me it's just because you started eating clean, quote unquote, and, you know, working out a lot. I don't know, I don't know what's happening inside of you. And I will not confirm that you're a better version of yourself because you're smaller. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And so it gets a little uncomfortable because weight loss is always praised. In fact, I've recently dropped just a little bit of weight. It's because I had surgery. Like... I feel good. It does feel nice, but this, like, people, a a slew of people are like, gosh, you look so good, and I'm always like, I had organs taken out of my abdomen, but thank you, you know? Oh, my gosh. So this, um, you are illustrating a point that I think is really important for the audience to consider. I'm not saying that it's never good or healthy or whatever. I don't, but my point is, is that I don't know, and I won't presume to know. And your family members didn't know, um, but they just thought it was a good thing because you didn't look sick. 
But you were sick. I was sick. Right. And that's another little eating disorders tidbit is that people with eating disorders are every shape and size. They sure are. I mean, literally. Yes, there are very, there are people they're who They're every have, color, they're every culture, mm-hmm. they're every sex, they're every gender, and they're every shape and size imaginable. And their experiences are very diverse. Mm-hmm. But we assume, like we do with every sort of stereotype, we have a picture in our mind of what an anorexic looks like. Yes. Um, where we are, I think, conditioned to understand that um, that somebody who experiences bulimia can look have like a normal weight, you know. Right. We're told that. Right. Um, we don't talk about binge eating disorder at all because no, that's cause... just lazy fat people. That's what we do to that. Oh, my gosh. So we have a lot of work to do. I totally agree. We have more than mm-hmm. enough work Yeah. to get us through the next few decades. Yes. <laughs> Much more than that, really. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, I just... No, please do. I wanted to say that. I think it's important. Um, and it's like a public service announcement for me today, for anybody who listens. Like, I won't celebrate your weight loss with you. I don't know what it cost you. Right. Well, guess what? Hmm. Guess what happened after I gained back all that weight? Hmm. They put me on Zoloft, and I lost 20 pounds. Oh. Like that. Wow. And that made me really happy. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe, who knows? Maybe it was the Zoloft that made me so happy. I don't even know. Right. (laughs) You do remember happiness, though. I remember happiness and feeling like I drank a cup of coffee all the time. Mm. And, um, And just like, you know, natural weight suppression. Which does give away over time, you know, mm-hmm. because those drugs aren't really meant to be taken forever. And I didn't take them forever. And once they started trying to give me lots of different types of drugs because that one wasn't working and I just wasn't done. I was done with that. Mm-hmm. But um, that was really interesting that I actually, after I did that and I lost that, that weight after... Um, and I stopped binging on Oreos. I was considered cured. Oh. Because I didn't really feel as much like my issues were around food anymore. Mm. And so that was where... Um, and, and maybe it did help my digestion. I don't know. I All I know is that... I didn't see that that professional anymore after a little while. The one who was medicating you? Yeah. Okay. And, and then it was just kind of like that journey where, um, disclaimer, like, I'm 150 right now. <laughs> I just had two kids and my boobs are huge. <laughs> 20 pounds, 20 pounds. They have to be 20 pounds. They have to be 20 pounds. And, you know, it's been really interesting because after, so after that all happened, I definitely, I had some good days, right? I, I definitely had growth and things that I did after I was a recovered. Cured, yeah. I was recovered. Um, how old were you when you were recovered? I mean... Or when they pronounced you recovered? I mean, I basically stopped seeing that person by the time I was 16. Oh, wow. So it was like 
really short. Yeah, but then I started seeing another woman because within a year's time, I started having depressive episodes again. Mm. And I started having a lot of just like self-esteem and once again just feeling that like total discovered and total discomfort and disgust mm. with myself. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't I it didn't take it out on food, but I took it out on me. Mm-hmm. What that look like? It looked like not wanting to be a part of the world very much, mm. you know? I was really lucky to have great women friends mm. and great teachers so that I could be a total nerd. Mm. And I would lose myself in... What, un, what happened was I had thought I would pursue biology, but I just really felt moved by by um, writers. I mean, it was my English classes that gave me that feeling of of being at home. Mm-hmm. So when I would read certain authors, um, and then it, like Whitman or... Um, I mean, even John Donne was just mm-hmm. so moving. And of course, it took the right teachers to, to get you into that place where you're just you're really feeling the philosophy mm-hmm. that expands your consciousness beyond your own beliefs in yeah. how uncomfortable it is to be in your body. Yeah. But I mean, I just was kind of like an, like an English nerd and then my friends always was like, you know, thought that I was a Shakespeare nerd because I really fell in love with Shakespeare. And then that kind of actually segued into me moving into college and then ended up doing more theater. Mm-hmm. And that was um that I think that was really my my next stage of healing. Hmm. Talk was to it, me about that. Okay. Yeah. So um so I had gotten past I mean I really didn't I don't think that I had issues particularly with eating, but I was still super uncomfortable in my body and still um didn't see maybe there was a maybe there was some existential malaise that um I love that you just used the phrase existential malaise. That made my day. Yeah. That's a great, that is a great way. But it was like my life. I remember maybe I got a little bit too into literature sometimes (laughs) because there are some pretty like depressing writers who, um, I'm trying to remember who, I think I was actually reading like reformed Protestant (laughs) works oh, where wow. we were talking about like the wilderness of the soul oh, and yeah. just like getting really deep into the like the bowels of being and I think that I had I had just kind of glommed on to that and what was interesting was it's so funny that I'm saying this on this podcast but what was funny was that theater was the opposite of that whereas literature would sometimes just kind of pull me into a world and I would disappear into it and philosophy did the same thing to me even though I was really drawn to both of those things in many ways Mm -hmm. um more so than any other things that I had been drawn to in a while emotionally it was theater that it had the ability for me to just be completely present yeah and still tell a story. Mm-hmm. So I was still in storytelling mode, mm-hmm. but I was telling a story to the masses. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do it with my whole being without fear. How do you think that happened without fear? Did that did that just exist in you? Did you go It did. Isn't that crazy? It did. Yeah. So that was my that was my path. So that's why I know that 
Um, my journey is, that's one of the ways that's specifically mine. Sure. Um, that I was really comfortable speaking in front of people and just kind of, and being really present. And it was, it was also, there was a woman who I met when I was in college who, she was, she was kind of like a mentor and, and really just a role model because her background was in psychology and theater. So she had this innate openness to the mind itself and how it worked. She, she was a yogi. Mm -hmm. She liked to incorporate mindfulness. She studied with Tadashi Suzuki, who did theater work that was kind of like an East meets West where you are doing just purely physical actions with your body and not even allowed to talk, but you're also doing like the weirdest things you could possibly do. Mm. So you're asking your body to be weird and we would just do this in front of each other. You know, we'd all just be doing really weird things with our body in a room and it was like a new world, you know? Mm. It was like, I honestly don't have to worry anymore about what people think. Mm. How freeing is that? It was the most amazing thing and I think everybody needs to do it me too so even though the, my path through theater was unique in that I just really loved doing like Shakespearean theater specifically but theater in general I was really comfortable with it I was not really comfortable getting in a room and just like moving my limbs in strange ways and shouting and and we would sometimes do like oh, ah, you know just very like mm-hmm. primal things that come out of a woman when she's giving birth you know like that is the level of primal sometimes that comes mm-hmm. out of you when you're given permission do you think our fear i i know exactly what you're talking about and that primal tapping into that primal piece of us it's interesting how powerful it is and how we it, I feel like it's also vulnerable. It's like yes. it's this it, it exists together. There's yes. this deep sense of power yes. and then there is this simultaneous sense of like oh my god, I'm stripped. That's bare. That's the core of me. Yes. And that is actually the more that I I'm just going to circle back and talk about food. Yeah, absolutely. The more that I deal with my emotions around food on a daily basis now cuz I still have them quite a bit. Uh-huh. And um I don't know if we're going to get to the place where I I did start looking at what I was eating Mm -hmm. and making sure that it was fueling my body and making me feel good in my body, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but also just recognizing like my cravings, like being vulnerable and present for my cravings and not judging them and not judging me and not judging my body. Mm -hmm. So in a way that theatrical experience, Mm -hmm. I did it in college and I had it as a communal experience later on in life. Okay, so theater, amazing, college. Amazing. Amazing, probably something that I'm meant to do in some form on this earth, right? Mm -hmm. I'll continue to do community theater. I've taught at Davenport Junior Theater before. I've done workshops. I have friends. We want to do workshops. I know I'll do it. My husband does it. We might bring our kids to the theater. It'll be fine. But, um, (laughs) and not a lot of people know that about me because it's just like, I didn't move to Chicago to do it. Right. Um... But that level of vulnerability was something that I had to find. I, I think in college I found it in a group, mm-hmm. but it was probably around my like mid-20s when I think something like happens in your pituitary or whatever where you're like, oh, I'm mortal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it saves many so- young souls when that happens because 
I'm currently raising three humans who are not there yet. And, I know. But they have a lot of personal agency because they're old enough to have all this agency. Yeah. Without the, that switch that flips that they go, oh, I could die. <laughs> There's just... So that doesn't happen. So when I realized I was mortal, yeah, uh-huh. I had like a healing crisis. And there were many things that happened to lead up to that that would honestly take me too many hours to even okay. web through. But um, I went to every healer I could find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I went to every doctor and then, and then I went to every other kind of doctor. <laughs> All the healing professionals. And it was, and I think what I realized at, you know, ultimately at the end of the line, I wrote this down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it. Yeah, please do. Um, I went from healer to healer for a while and eventually realized while seeking is a thrilling adventure, sometimes it just means you're running away from yourself. Mm. And I had a great time seeking. Mm -hmm. I had a great time kind of flying by the seat of my pants and just kind of like pulling my heart from here to there and and flying and not being grounded whatsoever. And I said, during that time, and in this little piece of paper, during that time, I was introduced to many people and modalities and found that each one was asking me to do the same thing, which was to activate a source of love within myself that was myself, but was also greater than myself, and then shine it back mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. And that's all a healer is really there to do. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I put all of that power outside of me. Yeah. I put it in the hands of the healer. I had been doing that my whole life. I just put the power outside of me. I was like, it's theater. It's this healer. It's these friends who have made it possible for me to get across this ocean, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. All by myself. I could never do it all by myself, mm-hmm. right? Relationships, codependent relationships, really. Yes. Some of them, right? I have a handful of those. As well. I know, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I had some, right? Yeah. And, and then, then they would disappear, and I would be like, "How do I survive?" But then you realize, like, it's you. Yes. And, and then you. So then here I said, um, "This is what healers do. They connect us back to love." And to a place where we deserve it. Mm-hmm. And then they shower us with that love. And what our, our superpower can become when we realize that we're that love is that anytime we want to access it, we shower ourselves with it at the merest thought. Any freaking time we want. Like, anytime. Anytime I eat a piece of of cake. Yep. And I'm like, man, I might pay for that later. Like, cause I do deal with some pelvic pain mm-hmm. and I do deal with some like blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what it's from. I don't know if it's from past stress. I don't know if it's from genetics. I don't know if it's from ancestral right. energy imprints. I don't know what you want to call it. Right. I don't know what you want to call it and I don't care. I might. Because it doesn't really matter. It does doesn't it? matter. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's karma. Yep. Or if it's just what happens. Yep. Are you going to show up for yourself and love yourself? Mm-hmm. Because if you can do that, then, well, then you change the game. You do. Well, anything becomes possible there. Yeah. 
I've been talking, um, I, some of the work I've been doing internally that I haven't actually shared with my audience right now, but I've been doing work around compulsive eating, my compulsive eating, and that's required um, a shift in my way of thinking in lots of ways. But one of the things that has been very clear to me is um, I, I can't, I've been talking about feeling like I was away from home, spiritually, physically, in so many ways for so long. This just recently, I had this moment over a bowl of um, soup, honestly, this like super nourishing soup. It's going to make me cry thinking about it. It was profoundly spiritual because when you start to pay attention to nourishing your body, it is profoundly spiritual. Mm. And I was like, I am the homecoming. It's already here. I've been chasing it everywhere I could possibly Mm -hmm. chase it down every path and this awakening of I am the goddamn homecoming. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. You know? And when that when that shifts. Yeah. And it's interesting because I want to give that away, you know? And I I wasn't ready for it a second before I was ready for it. Exactly. That's why I'm like that wonderful man who was just trying to help me when right. I was a teenager. Right. I couldn't hear any of the good things that he said. Right. I really couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I had wonderful friends who were telling me how beautiful I was from the inside, Mm -hmm. you know, as the person that they saw me and they loved. And I still couldn't hear it. Right. Years and years and years of people loving you Mm -hmm. (laughs) with all of their heart and soul Mm -hmm. and helping you with every fiber of their being. And you can't hear a damn word Mm -hmm. until you do. Until you do. And then you hear all the words at one time. Right. And it's not like you don't have those moments where you're like hearing the bad words again. Totally. But then you have this moment where you're like, I'm saying the bad words. It's okay. It's okay to say bad words. (laughs) I love you. I'm sorry. You're feeling really bad. Like, you know, (laughs) you know, like, and I, and I've gotten to this place. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but like. And I do, I have my, I do have my tree, you know, my like tree of people who Mm -hmm. I call that are like my load stars. And some of them are great, great healers, like healers that are magical that, and then most of them are just humans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of them are just humans actually. But you know, they have that, like they're these magical people who are magic for me. Yep. And they love you and they just hold up a mirror and remind you who you are. Yeah. And they surround you with love and support no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it takes a while to get to the place where you surround yourself with those people mm-hmm. in the way that you really need them so that, you know, you're in that right place where you're balancing yourself and then they're balancing you and it's not, and you're not just sucking energy from them and you're not living in a void, you know, there's, like I had years like that. Mm-hmm. But, um... It's really beautiful to be in this space where after my journey with my eating disorder mm-hmm. and through all the years of depression and not really knowing my place, mm-hmm. to be able to say that I'm that I can still love myself. Mm-hmm. So before you move into the quotes though, I wanted to invite you to Um, Speak to the women in our audience. You know, I don't know what it is that they're surviving, but most of us are usually surviving something. So do you have any words of wisdom for women who are surviving something right now? What I know is that you can give yourself love 
right now. Mm. And that you're deserving of that love right now. And it's okay if you don't feel like you're ready to give it to yourself. Mm-hmm. But that it's yours. And it's okay to be in pain. And it's okay to experience pain. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to have bad days. It's okay to not feel comfortable in your body. It's okay to feel all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, but that you, you actually, whether you know it or not, are on a journey to find that love. Mm-hmm. Even right now. Right. In right, this, in this moment, moment, yeah. In this moment, you're on the way to find the love mm-hmm. that I'm telling you about. And I think that if you can just take a moment, you can just, like, breathe. And if you're not driving, close your eyes and just, like, imagine the love coming down. And, and really just coming through you. And, and, and feel yourself filling up with it and, and just breathing it in because that is, that is your gift and you can give it to yourself in any moment. You can give it to yourself in meditation. You can give it to yourself while you're walking. You can give it to yourself in the form of your own voice talking out loud or the own, or your own voice talking in your head. You can give it to yourself in the memory of a loved one who you cherish, that you know wants you to feel better right now, and you can hear it in their voice telling you that. Mm-hmm. You can hear it in the voice of Gandhi, who I guarantee would like you to feel better right now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, it was really interesting when I was reading Eight, Pray, Love, and Elizabeth Gilbert talked about she was so upset, she didn't want to leave this marriage, and she was so sad, and she was feeling so distressed, and then she, like, wrote that letter. Yep. And, she, and her friend was like, think of all the people who would support you and want you. And they just made this list of all the people. And they did. They included all of these people that were dead and all of these people that were like great minds and living. And and it was just like, you have infinite support. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of beautiful thing that like, if you can remind yourself that you have infinite support, that you're always infinitely supported and loved. Mm-hmm. And it does, it is beyond your reason. It's beyond what you think is right. Yeah. And that's why the thing is, like, I have to stop myself when I'm really thinking too much in a negative way. I'm like, oh, you know, that's not really, that's, first of all, that's not the path I really want to keep going down. Right. I've been down that road. I know where it goes. I've fallen deep into that hole. Yeah. You know, it took me a long freaking time to claw out of it. I don't need to go down there again. But if you are in a hole or if you, you know, just, just jump out. Mm-hmm. I mean, because really, you can. Yeah, yeah you've, just you've jump got out. legs to jump out. Yeah, you've got legs, just jump out. Mm, that's so good. You mentioned, you said um, these quotes come across your desk uh, uh, with the eating disorder work that you do every day, right? So what do you, what do, you do every day? What do I do every day? Well, first of all, I want to say to everybody, I know it's not as easy as just jumping out, but I would love to help you. If you ever need um, words of support, I'd love to give it to you. But um, 
my work as a project coordinator is really just to, I always say just, is really to bring eating disorders awareness, trainings Mm -hmm. um, for providers. We do trainings that involve um, physicians, nurses, dietitians, psychologists, psychiatrists, people of all walks of life in terms of medical providers. Then we also go into the schools and we do awareness events for kids at health fairs and conferences. We, um, and when by, by I say we, it's like oftentimes I'll be coordinating an event mm-hmm. where we'll have a speaker mm-hmm. and our organization will bring in that speaker. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll be that speaker, but most of the time we'll be bringing in a professional. Um, and then we also, and I also help coordinate people in the community who treat eating disorders mm. to give to people who are looking for resources locally. So we have these resources on our website in brochures that we hand out at offices and events. Um, we also have an amazing support group, which I've, I've written down that that would have been a really amazing thing for me back in the day. Like I had said, mm-hmm. if I had had a support group like that that is as amazing as the one that we have right now, where it really is this community of family members and survivors and people who are going through the eating disorder that are all there to help you step-by-step, day-by-day. Mm-hmm. So it, it happens every Wednesday, but they can help you via text. They, they have a tree. Mm. You know, where if you're having a really rough day and you're in recovery and you don't know if you can get through this, like, dinner with your family or if you don't know what to do when you have to go to the grocery store and you just need that moral support, they're there for you. Mm -hmm. It's like this is an amazing resource that's that comes through Amy's gift that we're affiliated with that we provide to the community as well. So I feel like my job is just to make sure you know we're getting we're getting the events out there to reach the people that we can reach we're bringing in um in march we're bringing in a woman who talks about yoga and eating disorders mm. and and really in the same way that theater that theater work was about being in your body yoga is about being in your body and it's the same kind of meditation that allows you to to be present and have compassion and, and connection, um, as you are well aware. I there's no other there's no better solution. Yeah. Get in your body by any means necessary. Right. Um, but we also have a couple more clinical events that are happening um, throughout the year as well for providers. But that sounds like awesome work. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. I get to meet really really passionate people in the community who do great service, mm-hmm. who are brilliant, mm-hmm. and I just get to watch sometimes, just watch people be brilliant, and it's really awesome. That's <laughs> so good. <laughs> That's really good. So um, I think a great place uh, to probably um, end, did you want to put these quotes in context and share any of this with people? Yes. Okay. So, um, so the holiday season is a time that can be challenging for people with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And what came across my desk were these holiday intentions that came from Timberline Knowles. Mm-hmm. They were a wonderful platinum sponsor of our eating disorders uh, conference. Mm-hmm. And I, I get their information. And so these are, it's an all-women's mm. treatment center mm-hmm. up near Chicago. And I just highlighted some of the mm-hmm. um 
quotes that were sent. And so I won't say the names. I'll just say the quote. Or I guess I could say the name. She's she's allowed for her, it to be in here. So yeah, it's not a last name. Yeah. So Vanessa says, my intention is to remember that I am worthy of receiving love and gifts that will be given and that it's okay to receive mm. instead of always give. <laughs> Hillary says, my intention is to leave guilt at the door so I can enjoy the holidays, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Greta says, my intention for this holiday season is to remind myself I am worthy of love regardless of what my disease tells me. Mm. Uh, Monique says, and this is really one of my favorites, my holiday intention is to be kind to myself on the tough days and to celebrate on the amazing days. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the key. Be kind to yourself on the tough days. Because we have them. We all do. Yeah. yeah. But then to celebrate the amazing days. <laughs> and um, the last thing that is just uh, very simple is Jessica says, my holiday intention is to love, be loved, and love myself. So it really all circled around love. And I... I just thought it was perfect, you know, to read those intentions from those women and and see how love is such a central character. Mm-hmm. I mean, love is a central character in all healing. Mm-hmm. So be kind to yourself. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. Thank you for bringing me. All right, friends, that's all the time we have for today. So I'm really hopeful that some of what she shared resonated with you. You know, for me, the part that was really deeply resonant was the fact that she had spent all of this time and all of her resources surrounding herself with healers. And I can so relate to that. I've been trying to fix myself for as many decades as I've been alive. And I've sought that wisdom from physicians and therapists and friends. And so many of those things actually were really helpful to me. Those interventions were critical at those places in my life. But the best version of those relationships always led me back to one place. They always led me back to myself. They always led me back to realizing that I had the power I was looking for all along. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that there isn't a need for intervention. If you are suffering with an eating disorder, please reach out. I'll share some links in the show notes um, for local organizations as well as national organizations that can connect you to healing resources. I want to remind you that you are not alone in the work that you're doing, the work to find healing and wholeness and freedom in your life. Speaking of not being alone, I want to encourage you to follow along with the beautiful project. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean or on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook or on Instagram and follow along with all of the stories of women who are willing to share their truth, to use their voice, and to take up space. So join us. Join this chorus of Courage Beauties 
and help us create a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.